From our studio in San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, this is Salt and Spine. We had tested like over 1,500 recipes. And during that time, uh, you know, after we tested each recipe, we would try to trace it back to see which edition it had been added to get kind of like a historical perspective, not only on a particular recipe, but also the book as a whole. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. Remember, there's never been a better time to support independent bookstores. Many, like our friends at Omnivore Books in San Francisco, are happy to ship cookbooks to you right now. It's also a perfect time to join an online cookbook club, diving into a new or beloved cookbook with folks around the country. You can find more information on how to support authors and bookstores in this time, as well as which books are being featured in this month's cookbook clubs on our Instagram page, at salt. A-N-D Spine. Now, you just heard from today's guest, John Becker. If you don't recognize the name John Becker, maybe his great-grandmother's name will ring a bell. Irma Rombauer. That's right, it's Joy of Cooking Day on Salt and Spine. And it's weird to say a book, not an author, needs perhaps no introduction, but that's a fitting statement for Joy of Cooking. With 20 million copies in print, it's the most published cookbook in the United States and often considered the most popular. To many, it's also the most beloved. And it all dates back to 1931, nearly 90 years ago now, when John Becker's great-grandmother, Irma Rombauer, self-published 3,000 copies of a cookbook she titled Joy of Cooking, using half of her life savings. And after several updates and revisions over the years, some of them more divisive than others, the fourth generation of the Rombauer-Becker family has taken over the helm. That's John and his wife, Megan Scott, who spent nearly a decade working on this edition, all while keeping the spirit of joy alive with 4,000 favorite recipes, quote, revised and updated. It also includes 600 new recipes and continues to be a doorstopper at 1,200 pages. And in fact, I've got a whole 10-page pamphlet here in front of me on all the new and improved things you'll find in this edition. New American classics like Chicago-style deep dish pizza and Buckeyes now complement classics like brownies, roast turkey, and apple pie. And modern recipes from a kimchi mac and cheese to a roasted cauliflower with green olives and lemon share the pages with new globally-inspired dishes like Thai-style wings, mapo dofu, and lamb shawarma. In today's episode, we're talking with John and Megan about how they tested and developed these thousands of recipes, all without a dishwasher, how it was joy of cooking, in fact, that brought them together in the first place, and how they're continuing on the traditions and significance of the Joy of Cooking brand. Plus, we're playing a Joy of Cooking-themed game with John and Megan at the end of our show, and we have three featured recipes from this edition of Joy of Cooking for you to make at home, including the famous banana bread cocaine. Also in today's show, cookbook critic Paula Forbes joins us to preview new cookbooks being published in April. All of that this week on Salt and Spine. So let's head now to our studio inside the Civic Kitchen Cooking School in San Francisco, where John Becker and Megan Scott joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, John. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. Thanks so much for having us. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. And we're here to talk about your baby, your <laughs> thing that you have been working on for years, which is the latest edition, the latest version of Joy of Cooking. So I want to start sort of early on to understand for listeners how both of you came to be involved in this project. So John, maybe we'll start with you and then bring you in, Megan. John, you're part of the family, right? Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, that that is definitely how I got involved. <laughs> right. um, so 
I'm uh, Irma's great-grandson. Irma is the original author of the first edition of The Joy of Cooking, uh, self-published in 1931. She published three other editions. Okay. And her last edition was in 1951. She was working on that with her daughter, Marion Rombauer Becker. Marion had been helping with the the art side of things. You know, sure. she was a, she did, she was a paper cut artist. And, um, so the original, uh, dust jacket was really a very interesting dust jacket, but she did that. It, it's, um, it's really cool. This is, the, you're talking about the, the dust jacket with the, the patron saint, right? Y- yeah. St. Martha, St. Martha, St. Martha, okay. Of, of Bethany, patron saint of cooks. Of cooks, right. Yeah. And uh, she's slaying, uh, she's depicted slaying the dragon of kitchen drudgery. So right. there's a, this really fanciful, um, kind of, I don't know, it's a dragon, but it almost, it's kind of short and fat. And, uh, she has a broom in one hand and a handbag in the other, and she's chasing it off. Um, and yeah, it's a fantastic cover. It's one of my favorite cookbook covers of all time. Yeah. It's yeah. really awesome. And even the font, the font that she chose for, um, for that original cover is just this crazy avant-garde friend. Yeah. It's like a French, um, Lithographer, lithographer. I can't. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't remember the details. Yeah, um, the the prop the proper term of, with whoever designs typefaces. Sure. Uh, but yeah, no, it's just like it's semi hard to read, but very very interesting looking. Um, and that was the original cover in yes. 1931. Mm-hmm. And and the version that I've seen is like the re reissue of that cover from I think. 70s maybe that's like blue and green was it blue and green originally too yeah you know um it's interesting we we were it it, it's hard to admit this but we saw one of the original uh dust jackets for the first time not that long ago Uh and um the the colors were more muted i really like the original colors a little bit better but yeah kind of a aqua so marion helped with the 1951 edition Uh uh-huh you know, unlike Irma, uh, she actually had gone to college and, you know, was, she was just a researcher. She, according to my father, you know, she would just go down to the library every day to do research for, you know, um, well, these were the later editions, like the 1963 edition. Sure. And, um, you know, she just brought kind of this, this rigor to, to the whole enterprise, you know, whereas, you know, Irma was, um, she, she had a great personality and very, very witty, uh, it really comes across in those early editions. And, uh, you know, we like to think that that's, uh, one of the reasons why they were so successful is because they were not, you know, they were coming from a different, uh, authorial place than say the Boston cooking school. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. want to come back to that idea in a minute, but how did you get into the business then? Cause I, you've said, I know that like you weren't pushed into the family business of updating joy of cooking right, right. it sort of came serendipitously sort of and yeah, maybe megan comes into the picture here too yeah no i i don't know why i started with the beginning i just like it's <laughs> no it's it's important yeah yeah um so yeah i i i was never really pushed to do um you know to to follow in everybody else's footsteps it was more of uh, you know like i think my father ethan in particular he was very um very wary about it because he had had a, a difficult time with his, his stewardship of joy of cooking and, uh, well, after Marianne died in, uh, 1976, uh, you know, he spent a good 20 years basically struggling to get another edition published. And mm-hmm. it wasn't for lack of trying. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, he had people working on it. Well, not obviously, but he, he had people working on a new edition throughout the eighties, but they, uh, you know, the publisher at the time really 
didn't trust him and really didn't want the family to have any editorial input in the book anymore. They just wanted to have, uh, they wanted to have joy of cooking as a brand slash property. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I, it, it, his tenure as, you know, especially the first part of it was, um, it was more of a preser- persevering than a actual, you know, let's get, let's work on this. So he wasn't necessarily wanting to pressure me into that, which mm-hmm. was, which was a good thing. Cause I, you know, I, I think I would have rebelled a bit it, had he, you know, you know, sort of like, Hey, I'm going to groom you for this. You, should, right. you really need to take over. Uh, so yeah, he was very supportive of me to just do my own thing for, for a long time. Um, and you went into the literary field, right? For a while. I, I was trying publishing. Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I, I graduated with a lit degree after trying engineering for a while. Aerospace engineering is what I originally went to college for, but I ended up getting a lit, lit degree, uh, go figure. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, a former professor and mentor, um, he basically hired me to help him put together, uh, it ended up being, first it was just one volume, but it ended up being 17 books of just kind of literary criticism that was kind of like aimed at a, at a undergraduate audience. Okay. But it, it was really fascinating work for me because, well, not only, you know, was it something that I majored in and I was actually using it, using my knowledge and my training to do something, but it was also, it was an opportunity to, to edit former professors, which was <laughs> really amazing. That does sound kind of like a dream. It was. It was like, who has the red pen now? Right? <laughs> That's awesome. No, um, it was, it was really fun. So, you know, we, we finished that project up and I was, you know, kind of thinking about graduate school, but it started dawning on me, especially after working with, um, some of the contributors to these books, like that, the, the part of that sort of, um, profession that I really liked was not going to be something that I would be spending very much time on. Mm-hmm. Most of the time I would be spending uh, in that career would be teaching. <laughs> right. Um, that was not just not something that, you know, that was not what had drawn me t- towards it uh, right. in the first place. And that, and also like, you know, the professional maneuvering, um, the politics of it, it, it really, I, 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 decided, I decided that I probably didn't have the aptitude to succeed. Sure. So yeah, it just kind of led to this, um, I guess you could call it a crisis. I, I, I feels it's just like a, a time of indecision. And during that time, you know, I was working at a coffee shop trying to figure out what's going on. And I, I ended up visiting my father. It was like Thanksgiving or Christmas and, um, everybody was asleep. I had a glass of whiskey in my hand and I was like looking at his bookshelf and, uh, one of these really dry volumes that I had been using to do all this research for these books that I, you know, I was working on previously. Uh, he had one and I was just like really astounded that he had one. Cause it was just, you know, my dad is, is an avid reader, but he's more, um, he's a fan of, of history. He's a fan of, um, woodcrafting and stuff like that. So it was just like, okay, what's going on here? So I, I, I was like, Oh, maybe Irma or Marion is in there. And I pulled it out. Mm-hmm. And, um, so there was an entry on Marion, you know, this was written in the mid seventies. And so it was before she had passed away and, um, they quoted her dedication to the 1963 edition. And, um, it really, you know, just hit me in a very interesting way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, the quote in particular, the dedication at the end of it, uh, she said, you know, I, I hope that, um, my sons and their wives continue to keep joy, a family affair, beholden to no one but themselves and you, you being the reader. Sure. And, um, yeah, I, I just, for some reason, even though it really wasn't directed at me specifically, it was, you know, Ethan and his brother Mark. Right. I just felt implicated. And it was the first time that anyone had ever really expressed like 
a strong desire for me for what felt like me to continue um, the work and yeah, just maybe super emotional. And I, I just like, I look back on it now and it's, it was definitely like kind of a, not to be melodramatic, but it felt like an epiphany Yeah, and it felt like I was being ushered in a different direction by, by, by Marion. Yeah. And, um, right. She yeah. was really speaking to you through that quote. Yeah. Certainly felt like that. And at this point, had you met Megan? No, actually. Okay. So let's bring Megan in then. So I, I think you're, you're also still working at this coffee shop. Is that right? That's right. Is this, yeah. I think in North Carolina? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Ash, Asheville, North Asheville. Carolina. Okay. Yeah. And um, you happen to be working down the street, <laughs> right, Megan? Yes. Uh, so, and I, I, so I had actually purchased Joy of Cooking for myself a few years before I met John. Okay. Um, because I, you know, moved out of my parents' house and I realized that I had a lot of holes in my culinary education. So I picked up a copy of Joy of Cooking because I knew, you know, this was a cookbook that would have pretty much everything in it, um, anything I wanted to know. And so I had been using Joy of Cooking for a few years, really loved the book. Um, and I was, happened to be working at this bakery talking to a coworker about how much I love Joy of Cooking. And he said, didn't you know that the guy whose family wrote Joy of Cooking works at that coffee shop down the street? And um, I thought he was kind of messing with me. <laughs> so after my shift, I went down to the coffee shop and I felt like maybe I was going to make a fool of myself by even asking about it. But I asked and um, the barista working behind the counter that day happened to be John. And he sort of turned red and said, yeah, that's my family you know, which I thought was amazing. And we had some conversations after that. I eventually ended up asking him out on a date and eventually got sucked into working on, uh, working on joy of cooking. (laughs) Yeah. What a serendipitous moment. (laughs) It really was. All of this. I mean, finding the quote from Marion, which sort of steers you in that direction, the two of you meeting all sort of coming together and in such a crazy and serendipitous <laughs> way, right? <laughs> yeah, it really it really was. It's certainly not something I would have ever envisioned myself getting to work on. In fact, I at the time, you know, before I met John, I didn't realize there was still a family behind the book. Uh-huh. I thought that maybe they were had all passed away or, you know, maybe the book was just being done by a publisher and that there wasn't really a person behind it. So to meet John and then, you know, it was not that long after I met John's dad, Ethan, and he had all these stories about his mother and grandmother and, you know, learning about the history of Joy of Cooking was just, um, it's an incredible history. It's fascinating, even if you're not, you know, involved with with, you know, romantically involved with someone <laughs> involved with the book. But, um, so yeah, I would have never thought that something like that would happen to me. Yeah. It is such a fascinating history. And, and you mentioned John a little bit, the voice of Irma in those early editions. But I want to maybe go back and talk a little bit about the history then before we get to this version. So it, it was really a unique cookbook at the time, right? I mean, this is sort of coming out of the depression, middle of prohibition, like there's all of these environmental factors going on and Irma your great grandmother John becomes a widow right her her husband commits suicide that's that's right yeah and she turns to the cookbook in a yeah. sense yeah no she was in her late 50s um women of of her generation were not really you know encouraged or had the you know did not have the opportunity to really learn like professional skills mm-hmm. i mean she she was educated in you know in the arts pretty much but it was nothing nothing marketable and, um, you know, uh, luckily, you know, Marion and her brother Edgar were out of the house. So it wasn't like she had to support them. Sure. But, uh, yeah, no, she, she had like, um, I think it's, uh, it was supposed to be a year's worth of, uh, 
a you year's know, salary. A year's salary. Okay. Um, that, that's what she was left by, by, by her husband. Um, she took half of it, uh, to publish Joy of Cooking. Right. And this is with like, you know, like not only no professional training, um, you know, in, in like publishing, but also really, you know, a lot of people were kind of scratching their heads because, you know, Irma was known as a, an enthusiastic entertainer, but not necessarily the best cook. So, um, a lot of people were just kind of really confused by this. It's not, not exactly the best, uh, well, you know, financial decision. And coming, coming out of the depression, like you mentioned today, there's a huge market for cookbooks, mm-hmm. but there certainly was not that market at the time, right? You know, you didn't have lots of cookbooks on your shelf, if any, but I think Irma, Irma saw uh, kind of an entry into, you know, being a cookbook author because she found herself suddenly in a situation where, you know, she not only because of the great depression, but also because of her husband's death, you know, in a situation where she was having to um, do a lot more of the heavy lifting in the kitchen and realized, I think that a lot of, um, women who had perhaps had servants before no longer had them um, because of their reduced circumstances. And so she was certainly interested in, um, you know, kind of providing a cookbook that didn't just teach you how to cook things or tell you how to cook things, but that was also very, um, it was very witty. She had Mm -hmm. this very conversational style and that was pretty unique in, in that time. You know, most cookbooks were very dry and, um, not, it wasn't something you would read. Um, but Irma created this book that, you know, she felt could be a friend in the kitchen to her readers and she would crack jokes and tell stories and little anecdotes. Um, so it's really fun to go back and, and read that because it does have so much of her personality in it. Yeah. Yeah, not only did she have that sort of conversational approach to her writing, but I mean, you noted too that this was a time when more and more people, particularly women, were taking on more of the cooking duties. So I think even that first edition, like one of the early first recipes in there sort of says stand facing the stove. Is that right? Yeah, that's, I think it's one of the, um, I'm trying to remember if it's a recipe or if it's just the start of a chapter. Okay. Um, it was, yeah, it was actually, I think it was in the 63 edition, actually, that that was the first, I think it was Marion who actually added that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, she may yeah. have. Um, yeah, it's, you know, the advice given to, um, by a, by a seasoned cook to a beginner was just stand facing the stove, mm-hmm. um, which I love, love that idea. Right. Um, and it is a lot about, you know, cooking is a lot about, being aware of your surroundings and just taking things in and being observant. So I think there's some wisdom there, even though it, it seems really simplistic. Yeah. That, that's at least how we, how we <laughs> like to interpret that. Uh, I don't know. There's, there's, you know, obviously there's kind of the, um, the deadpan humor, uh, interpretation where it's just like, well, it, yeah, if you want to learn how to cook, you just, well, you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, you know, the, I like, I, I really like the mindfulness, uh, interpretation. (laughs) Yeah. And obviously you've spent a lot of time understanding the history of the book and the history of your family. Um, Do you find it sort of like ironic at all that she sort of wasn't a great cook and, you know, obviously wasn't professionally trained as a cook in any way and sort of produced what has become now probably the most recognized cookbook in the world? No. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a paradox. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, to this day, I, I really, I can't square that circle. I'm, I'm really sure, not I think, sure. I think honestly, you know, that, that Irma was a home cook who wasn't necessarily gifted or had a ton of experience is the part of the reason why she was successful because she was on the same level as her readers. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of her readers kind of sensed that, 
you know, she wasn't talking down to them or necessarily speaking from a position of great knowledge, but just one of like, okay, we're all here in the kitchen together and we've got to do this. So let's figure it out. Um, and I think, you know, by the same token, the fact that, um, you know, John's grandmother, Marion, and even John and I, like, we're not professionally trained cooks. I right. mean, we have now, I feel like we're pretty experienced home cooks, but, you know, sometimes people call us chefs and we're like, no, we're professional home cooks. Like, that's yeah. what we do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which has sort of been the trajectory of Joy of Cooking over many years, right? With the exception of one edition in which mm-hmm. professional folks, we'll call them professional folks. I don't know what <laughs> yeah. term we want to use. Professionals. <laughs> Culinary there professionals. Culinary professionals <laughs> were brought in, which sort of, I think, caused a lot of backlash with Joy of Cooking fans, right? Yeah. And, you know, that edition had a lot of the contributors to that edition were really talented. Sure. Um, and they were, they have put out fantastic cookbooks in their own right. Um, and I think with that edition, the, the problem, at least in my mind, is that not so much the content, but the way, you know, Joy of Cooking had always been done by um, one or two or three people. So a very intimate team of people mm-hmm. working on this book. And then you, suddenly you had over a hundred contributors. And so the result felt disjointed and also didn't have, you know, the same conversational style that made Joy famous to begin with. And I think readers could pick up on that and it just wasn't the same book yeah well and not to mention that you know the manuscript uh you know it was just uh much larger than than it it needed to be okay and so you know entire chapters ended up getting cut sure as opposed to the there being kind of a judicious you know like painstaking (laughs) trimming sure um because you know the deadline was i think way past but at that point so yeah you know the preserving chapters went away the frozen desserts chapter, the cocktails chapter, all of these things that, you know, were definitely like integral to the appeal of the joy of cooking. Luckily, we, we brought those back, um, uh-huh. in 2006 and we've definitely tried to improve upon them since. Yeah. Are there lessons that the family learned from that process? Like that process of moving away from that direction and having to sort of come back from that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I imagine like, there were. Yeah. I, hmm. Yeah, I mean, trying to distill like, it into yeah, what into, the lesson is. Yeah, um, like, I mean, I think, you know, when John and I started working on this edition, because we, we were looking back at, you know, that edition thinking you, there were just too many cooks in the kitchen. And even mm-hmm. the 2006 edition, which was the last one that was published, um, was kind of an improvement, but they also had, you know, the publisher had hired a professional test kitchen to test all the recipes, which is honestly a great idea because there's thousands of recipes. So right. it's a huge task. Sure. And I understand the logic behind it. It makes total sense. Um, but what we found was we actually, we inherited all these test notes from the test kitchen. So we have like four filing cabinets full of test notes in our garage. Okay. <laughs> um, and we sorted through all of them and read through them. And we would find these things where, you know, someone at the test kitchen would find a problem with a recipe and make note of it. But then it never, a change was never made in the manuscript. So it was like either there was some kind of communication breakdown or just too many people working on the project. And so I think what we learned from that was, you know, uh, even though it's really difficult to work on a book this of this size with just a few people, I mean, it takes so much time to do it. Um, it's really important that the people working on it are a small uh, team that is talking directly. People are talking directly with each other, that there can't be these kind of failures of communication. Small team um, being two people. Two people, yeah. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, and, and also it was, we felt it was really important to have a, a very intimate knowledge of 
the book and its history before even starting this project. And I don't, you know, we spent probably four years doing recipe testing and just learning about the history of the book before we really started working on the revision in earnest. Yeah. And I don't think we would have been able to do it successfully if we hadn't taken those four years to just get a good background education in joy. Sure. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with the second half of our conversation with John Becker and Megan Scott, authors of the ninth edition of Joy of Cooking. Every Tuesday on Salt and Spine, we love sitting down with another of your and my favorite cookbook authors to tell the stories behind cookbooks. From Jacques Pepin and Nigella Lawson to Samin Nostrat and Allison Roman to today's guests, John Becker and Megan Scott, Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring in-person interviews with your favorite authors. Plus, we publish delicious and exclusive recipes, hold cook book giveaways for listeners like you, host incredible live shows, and so much more. Salt and Spine truly brings cookbooks to life, and we can only do it thanks to listeners like you. You can join the Salt and Spine community today and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content, starting at just $2 a month. Find out more and join the Salt and Spine community at patreon.com backslash saltandspine. Salt and Spine is proud to have storytelling partners like Edible San Francisco. In the latest issue, read about how climate change is already impacting seafood in the Bay Area. Plus, take a look at upcoming cookbooks by Bay Area authors and some of the best sustainable seafood cookbooks. Subscribe now to ensure you don't miss compelling stories on how San Francisco eats at EdibleSanFrancisco.com. And now back to our conversation with John Becker and Megan Scott, authors of the ninth edition of Joy of Cooking. And it's just the two of you that worked on this revised edition, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we had people uh, who helped to some degree, but yeah, you're the main people. We had three part-time recipe testers uh-huh. at different phases of the project. Um, we At first, when we started out, we also had a bunch of um, volunteer recipe testers, just folks who we could send finished recipes to and have them test and give us feedback on them. Sure. Um, and then also we, you know, for the game chapter and the fish chapter, uh-huh. we had uh, Hank Shaw uh, come in and consult. Okay. So he was, he would look at, look over drafts and make notes for us about things that he thought were questionable or mm-hmm. maybe, maybe you ought to change this. And so that, yeah. that was very helpful. And then mm-hmm. we also, uh, a Portland based wine writer named Catherine Cole. She also helped with um, the wine section because, okay. you know, we're we, not wine experts. Sure. sure. <laughs> we yeah. definitely felt like uh, a little out of our, out of our, out of our, yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure. And you, you mentioned that, you know, in the 1997 edition, some entire sections were cut, which mm-hmm. is sort of true of various editions, right? I, is this the ninth? Am I getting that right? This is the, ninth, the ninth edition. edition. So over these nine editions, right? The book has evolved, like chapters have come and gone. Mm-hmm. The recipes have changed. There's, I think over 600 new recipes that you right. two have put into this version. How do you sort of like, from a 30,000 degree perspective, tackle a project like this? I mean, I know you mentioned a couple like part-time recipe testers and things, but what does that actually look like to revise something of this magnitude and of this like culinary significance? Well, so, you know, like she, like Megan was saying, you know, when we first started out and we spent a long time getting to know the book. And so what that means uh, um, more specifically is, is that, you know, with the last edition, we cooked through mo- most of that edition. I mean, by the time that we actually, you know, we're, th- we're, we're actually thinking about, uh, you know, embarking on the revision proper. We had, our, we had tested like over 1500 recipes. Um, and during that time, uh, you know, after we tested each recipe, we would, uh, try to trace it back to see which edition it had been added. So to get kind of like a historical perspective, not only on the recipe, the recipe, it's like a particular recipe, but also the book as a whole. And, um, 
you know, also during that period, we, um, we ended up, uh, partnering with a, an app developer okay. to turn the 2006 edition into an app mm-hmm. for iPad and iPhone. And that really gave us a, a, an incredibly detailed look at like how the book was put together. And after that, we really had some strong opinions about, you know, what we felt the book needed, you know, where it was fall- maybe falling a little short, um, you know, then, some, some uh, of the materials that could go. Uh, but then, yeah, after that, we created that gigantic outline. Um, we went through the book line by line at least three times and, you know, section by section, you know, we would try to kind of take stock, see like, okay, like maybe we have too many recipes in this section. Uh, maybe some of the facts like in the reference part of that chap of that chapter are not, you know, they just seem like they might be questionable or, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, we don't talk about such and such. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it really was a, a systematic review. And from there, I think that, I mean, you know, the end result is actually changed quite a bit from what we originally had in that uh, outline, but it was a great, it was a great start. And that's how, pretty much how we proceeded was a, just a gigantic outline. Yeah. And then when we started doing the revision, um, you know, I would work on one chapter and John would work on a different chapter and um, we would kind of, we would go through it and, you know, make our editorial changes to the different sections. We would do research, um, make sure the information we had was correct. And if it wasn't, you know, figure out, you know, what was the correct information, um, add anything we felt was missing, take anything away that seemed outdated. Um, And then, once we did that, we would, um, we had a compiled list of all the recipes, either that we wanted to revise and retest or new recipes we wanted to add. And then we would develop and test all those recipes until, you know, they were ready, put the recipes into the chapters, and then we would swap chapters. So I would look at John's work. He would look at my work. Okay. And then we would send it to, um, we actually had a, um, we hired a, uh, freelance editor, uh, in addition to the editor we had at our publisher. And so our free, the freelance editor, um, who had actually worked on the yeah, previous, her, her name's, um, her name's Maggie Green. She worked on the oh, yeah. 2006 edition as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, yeah, we would get feedback from her. Um, and, and then, then we would send it the to the, our editor at the publisher. And then, you know, each time we would revise it again. And then, you know, while they were looking at those chapters, we would be moving on to the next one. And, you know, there, it's interesting, especially by the end, we were working on so many different aspects of the project at once. We were, we would be finishing up the first draft of one chapter while working on first pass of another chapter or sure. line edits of another chapter. So, sure. um, it was, uh, I'm glad that it was just the two of us it, not because I mean it created so much extra work for us but um it's such a detailed project because sometimes you would make a change in one chapter that would mean you'd have to change something in lots of other chapters yeah. so working closely with the manuscript we were able to make all those changes as we needed to and not have to relay that information to someone else right I feel like yeah we we had like a spidey sense when when another <laughs> chapter you know I was like, right oh. Oh, we're oh yeah, I think we're going to have to here. change that. And yeah, so it was an incredibly complex project, but we, you know, we had this uh, huge outline that we were working from and lots and lots of copious notes. So um, to keep, help us keep on track. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's hard to even looking back, it's hard to even talk about the process because <laughs> it was so huge. <laughs> right. 
I mean, it's so complex and so there's so many moving pieces, but there's also this layer of, I mean, joy has meant so much to so many people and mm-hmm. the various editions. People really sometimes connect with a particular edition that they either grew up with or that was given to them. Did you sort of, sort of like beyond the complexity of just managing an update like this, how did you sort of balance that, like, that pressure maybe of sort mm-hmm. of updating something that, you know, you want to make sure the voice of joy comes through. People sometimes can feel like um, certain feelings when a recipe is changed, yeah. like a particular <laughs> recipe that they grew up with and you might make revisions to. How did you sort of balance that aspect on top of the complexity of we updating were, it? I think we were coming from a place um, of humbleness and respect. And so to, to a certain degree, I, that really did help us. Um, just as far as like, you know, just because it is part of my family's history, it, you know, um, it forced me to think about the book in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, you know, as far as the voice goes, it's, it, that was difficult just because, um, it's like how much of our own personalities do we interject into this, into this process or sure. into this project? I mean, at a certain point, after, you know, <laughs> in, in the midst of those 12, 1200 pages, it's hard not to interject your personality in some way. Um, right. but we certainly did not want to try to, you know, um, mimic. mimic or, you know, reproduce Irma's, you know, kind of witty repartee. Uh-huh. But, you know, we definitely wanted to kind of crack jokes of our own. Um, but yeah, you're right. As, as far as like, you know, the book has meant so much to so many families and, um, it really did raise the stakes for us. Um, yeah. And we certainly, you know, during this whole time since 2010, John and I have managed the, um, joy of cooking social media presence mm-hmm. as well as, um, the website and so email accounts. And so anytime a reader would, um, send us a Facebook message or an email, we were reading those. Um, and so if someone would, you know, express a love for a particular recipe, even if only one person did, we would take that to heart and kind of, you know, if we were considering cutting it, we would think twice because we knew someone out there really loved it. Um, so hearing from readers and hearing their stories, what recipes they loved, the things that they loved about the book, um, we certainly were taking all of that into consideration. Um, so, and I, and I think hearing directly from readers and getting their stories, we have had, so many people tell us that, you know, their grandmother gave them their copy or they remember their mom always making this particular recipe. Right. Um, so that certainly gave us an awareness of what the book means to people. And we took that really seriously. Do you think that's different than it has been for your family in previous editions in that we have email and we have <laughs> social media and like you, you maybe have more feedback from readers than anybody who's updated Joy has ever had. Do you think that impacted you? I mean, I, I know I've, I have, I have not seen the mailbag that Marion had, but okay, I, yeah. from, from what I understand, it, it was pretty significant. Sure. And Maybe she, not as real time, but no, she right. got a lot of reader feedback. Okay. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Okay. Not as real time. Um, but apparently she actually wanted to make some sort of compilation out of these letters that she was receiving. Mm. So I, I know that she was, you know, it was, it was a fair amount of feedback from people. Um, I mean, there's probably now there's probably a little more of the, I mean, you know, people are more likely to get in touch with you if they have a complaint rather than a something nice to say. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> so maybe the ratio is a little skewed. Um, but you know, we do still hear a lot. I, f- I feel like mostly really positive things from readers. Occasionally we'll have a complaint and we'll try to 
work through it with them to see if it's, you know, something that happened on their end, or maybe there's something that we could improve about the recipe. Um, because, you know, we want to hear if someone's having trouble with something, if we can improve the recipe in some way, we're absolutely going to do that. Um, we take all feedback really seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was actually kind of conflicting to get, um, <laughs> to get complaints like that, where somebody might have a legitimate concern about mm-hmm. uh, how a recipe is written. It's like, well, damn it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's too bad that it's like that, but oh my God, we can make the book better. Right. So yeah. it's, you know, it, yeah. a little bit of a double-edged sword. Yeah. 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 Um, we're a show on cookbooks, obviously. What role do you think, and, you know, just having updated Joy of Cooking, such a classic and seminal cookbook, what role do you think cookbooks play in our society today? Mm-hmm. How do you sort of view the importance of cookbooks? Well, it's certainly, um, it's a record of sorts mm-hmm. of, you know, you know, of, of taste at, at any given moment. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, People have tried to make joy of cooking into some. Uh, somebody actually on Twitter called it a barometer, okay. <laughs> uh, like uh-huh. some sort of yeah. instrument by which we can measure like uh, sure. American cuisine. Which I think that that's maybe going a little too far because we're we're far too um, frail and human for that to be the case. You know, we we the family has always interjected their own you know um, subjective viewpoints into it, and um, so. You know, I think there's some truth to that, but, um, in addition to that, you know, it's, it it is a form of storytelling to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that a book like ours, um, especially when, when compared to some of the incredibly personal, um, you know, cookbooks, single subject books or, you know, autobiographical, uh, or historical cookbooks that are out now. I, I think that ours is perhaps less of a, uh, telling a story, um, or it's telling too many stories at once. I, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I think the thing that, you know, that makes the joy of cooking such a special book to so many people is that maybe it's, it's not, I mean, it's personal in some ways, but it's, there's not a personality, um, associated with this Mm -hmm. book. So I think people are more free to, um, kind of adopt it as their own and it kind of gets absorbed into people's families and it's just, it's like their cookbook. Um, we often hear from readers that they have, they'll be like, I have the original joy of cooking. And I'm always like, really? Because (laughs) there, that's incredibly rare that you have that. And usually they mean something like from the seventies or sixties. Um, but I think it's interesting that people say that because to them, like that's the original joy of cooking. It's their copy. People really take ownership of it. Um, and I think because there's not a a person that, you know, there's no television show for joy of cooking there's no movie. It's just like, it's this, it's a book that, um, people have really adopted and taken into their own families and their own kitchens. Um, and they pass down from one generation to the next. So I think people associate it more with their family than with a person, another person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could spend hours talking about <laughs> joy of cooking. I mean, this volume alone, thousands and thousands of recipes, but I want to do a quick lightning round before we go to our game to end. So each of you, if you can tell me a favorite thing from a past edition of joy, something you really love that's in a, a, an older version and something you love about this new version, something new in this book. Um, from an older version, I really love the, um, illustrations from the 1963 edition. Uh-huh. Um, 
we call that one. Uh, so a lot of those illustrations have these really, um, they're very stylized, like women's hands in them. And yes. we call them Jetson's hands because okay. <laughs> they kind of have that 1960s futuristic vibe or something. Right. Um, and the illustrations from that were, were done by Jenny Hoffman. Um, so those are great. And then, and that includes the squirrel. That's the squirrel, okay. uh, version. My yeah. favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then favorite thing or one of my favorite things from the new edition, uh, probably, well, I kind of want to stay with the illustration theme, um, okay. because we added, um, we had an artist, um, her name is Anna Brones and she did, um, paper cut illustrations for each of the chapter headings kind of to harken back to, uh, what Irma's daughter Marion did for the original uh, version of the book. So there are these really fanciful, um, you know, illustrations done with an exacto knife and black paper that are just, I don't know, they're very whimsical yeah. and fun. Yeah. John favorite from the past and from the present. I, I feel like if you were to ask me this tomorrow, I'd come up with something different. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you could give a different answer the rest of your life, probably. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a lot, lots of to choose from. I think that, like, um, we were talking about the, there is a, a <laughs> there's a recipe in, uh, the 1963 edition in the fish chapter at the end of the fish chapter for whale. Oh. And okay. the head note says last but vast. So I'm going to go with last, that. But vast. I'm, it's that. the last in the chapter. Yeah. So I, I'm going to have to go with that because I mean, you know, uh, John Marion's husband and Marion, they both had a sense of humor, but it doesn't always come through. And I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. So yeah, from this edition, I'm, I mean, I'm, can I say a chapter? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. The know your ingredients chapter was just, um, a fantastic, you know, uh, scavenger hunt research project. It was, it was really fun. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it and I hope that people find it useful. At the end of it, there's even uh, a lot of the uh, painstaking volume to grams measurements that I made so that, you know, there's sure. a, lot of, a lot of work went into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a great resource. So we always end with a little game. So we have our cards in front of you here. And I thought we'd play, since perhaps there are no two people who know Joy of Cooking better than the two of you, especially this this new version that you're out with now, a game of like Desert Island Joy, sort of. So let's pretend you're stranded on a desert island with Joy of Cooking. Okay. Thankfully, you have nothing else, but you have Joy of Co- <laughs> the, the ninth edition of Joy of Cooking with you, and you stumble upon a basket with some ingredients in it, and you need to make a, a meal for yourself. So we'll do one round each, and you can draw from each of the stacks here, and that's what's in your basket. Sort of like a I'm just like mixing all my metaphors with like chopped, your desert island chopped, <laughs> chopped. joy of cooking <laughs> challenge. Um, so who wants to start? Oh man. And you have, you sort of have like, you've lost all your culinary experience, right? You have to turn okay. to joy of cooking as your, your <laughs> only resource. And this is what you have at hand. And what do you, what do you make? So do you want to start, it, John? Is it one dish or it can I be just, multiple, dishes. multiple dishes? It can be a little okay. uh, multi-course meal. Hmm. <laughs> All right, Megan, you want to start? Uh, Tell us what you have. I have chickpeas. Okay. Cloves. All right. Fish sauce and broccoli. Fish sauce. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. yeah, interesting. Because when I saw the fish sauce and cloves, I was thinking maybe like masaman curry or something like that. Uh-huh. But then chickpea, I mean, I guess you could do like a, oh gosh, a chickpea, uh, like a, a vegan, well, it wouldn't be vegan with fish sauce, but like a vegetarian, no, never mind. <laughs> pescatarian. <laughs> kind of a, yeah, pescatarian, yeah. uh, masaman style, uh, chickpea curry. Oh. Um, I don't know where the broccoli fits in, but all, broccoli and fish sauce are really good together. Uh-huh. Like charred broccoli with, uh, or roasted broccoli with fish sauce is delicious. Um, 
Is that, can I do that? Yeah, of okay. course. Yeah. Two separate things. And I mean, maybe there's like a small market on this desert island okay. or something. If you cool. need to like pull some coconut milk in or something, I don't know, make this a delicious yeah, curry. Yeah. yeah. Or there's, there's coconuts growing on the island. True. Sure. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love that. John? Okay. So I have lemon and passion fruit. Okay. So mm-hmm. I think that would make a, a nice curd. Uh huh. Do a curd. Let's just say that there's a shortbread crust at this this <laughs> yeah. uh, this convenience store. <laughs> sure. And uh, so then I have tofu and green beans, and I I'm I'm thinking that this would make for a great mapo tofu. Ah, yeah. Um, Which is a new addition and that is a new recipe in this yeah. edition, right? Okay. Yeah. It's it's a fantastic recipe. Uh, the green beans. I mean, I I, I feel like I, I could stay in in Szechuan here and go with a dry fried green beans, but uh-huh. um. Yeah, I guess I'll just do that. <laughs> Delicious. Those are pretty good desert island meals. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess if you end up on a desert island with only one cookbook, you That's probably the want one. it to be Joy of Cooking. Yeah, we even we have <laughs> info about starting a f- how to start a campfire. Well, and yeah. not only that, but that, that's, water. A, that's, that's a lot of kindling. That's yeah. true. <laughs> when <laughs> you, you really get to that point. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was so much fun to talk with both of you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. A pleasure to be here. We're joined now by Paula Forbes, editor of cookbook newsletter Stained Page News, to highlight some of the new releases she's watching in April. Hi, Paula. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for joining us once again to talk about this month's cookbook releases. And um, somehow it's April and we're here to talk about April. So tell us what we can expect this month. Yeah, absolutely. I think that April is uh, perhaps the most exciting month this spring in terms of book releases. Um, There are a lot of big, exciting titles coming out. So the first one that I'm very excited about is Falestine, which is Mm, a cook. Yeah. So if, if listeners are familiar with the cookbook Jerusalem that came out a few years back, um, by Yoda Matalenghi and his partner, Sammy Tanini, um, who is a chef in his restaurants. Um, and this is uh, Tanini's solo, well, he has a co-author, but um, his first cookbook, Apart from Odalenghi, that follow, uh, looks at the foods of Palestine. So I think that that's a great, exciting book coming out. It'll be a lot of the same things that people loved about Jerusalem with just, you know, a, a slightly different angle to it. So I think that people should get excited about that one. I'm very excited about uh, My Korea mm, um, yeah. by Huni Kim. Yeah. So Huni Kim is a chef whose restaurant was one of the first to the, the first ever Korean restaurant to earn a Michelin star in the U.S. So his cookbook, My Korea, looks at his style of Korean cooking. So perhaps it's not the traditional stuff that you might find in like the Mangchi cookbooks, for example, but sure. a little bit more creative, a little bit more restauranty. I cooked out of this book, actually, and I, I say a little bit more restauranty, but the recipes are super approachable and you can do them at home. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. And then let's see what else. This is not a cookbook per se, but um, I'm very excited about Jose Rolot's American Tacos. Um, Jose is the taco editor at Texas Monthly, and he spent a good amount of time traveling throughout the U.S. doing research on the different regional taco styles in the United States, which I think is maybe something people don't think about as much. Um, but this is a, a guide to how tacos change as they spread throughout the U.S. and what people are doing with tacos across the country. I'm really excited for that one as well. That seems really fascinating. 
Yeah, really, really fun topic. Who doesn't like tacos, right? Exactly. Never <laughs> met a taco you didn't like. When we had Gabriela Camera on, she said anything can be a taco, too. So I have embraced that philosophy since, with her yep, permission. I, I, I think I think that that will be will be proven by reading this book. I sure. think that there's a lot, a lot in there. Yeah. And then let's see, let's do one more. I want to talk about Melissa Martin's Mosquito Supper Club, which we get a lot of New Orleans, Cajun, Louisiana style cooking cookbooks every year, but I think that Martin has a unique perspective on the cuisine. And also, I just think that it's important that often these voices talking about this sort of bombastic cuisine are male. And I I just love seeing a woman who is a chef coming out with a book and giving us her perspective on a storied historical cuisine. Yeah, and I'm really intrigued by that book, too, because I think she has, you said she has a unique perspective, and and she does Mm -hmm. in in many different ways. But one of them, too, is that her hometown is like about to be um, lost, basically, to climate change, right? And part of her impetus Mm -hmm. has been that she wants to preserve the recipes um, and the customs um, that Mm -hmm. she's familiar with. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, as, as the world changes, it's so important to make sure that we have records of these things. So I think that that book will be both a good read and just something really great to cook out of. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us again, Paula. Yeah, absolutely. This was great. That's Paula Forbes, editor of Stained Page News. You can subscribe for her weekly cookbook news in your inbox at stainedpagenews.substack.com. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on saltandspine.com. There you'll find three recipes from Joy of Cooking, the banana bread cocaine, the black bean soup, and the miso glazed eggplant. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. And of course, you can join the Salt and Spine community and support our show at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and producer Madeline Forbes. Salt and Spine's kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen offers hands-on classes and events for home cooks. Find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, to Paula Forbes, and to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, I'm Kim Holderness. And I'm Ben Holderness. We host the Holderness Family Podcast every Tuesday. You may know us from the silly videos that we make online. Or a book about marriage called Everybody Fights. Or as winners of season 33 of The Amazing Race. Still can't believe that happened. Listen, we do a lot of stuff, but our podcast is our most favorite thing. Yeah, because every week we get to sit down face-to-face, talk to each other about marriage, family, mental health, or just anything that we want to know more about. Sometimes we have expert interviews, sometimes it's just us, but our goal is to bring some joy and laughter into your life every week. Our other goal is that maybe you will learn something as well. Right. So search the Holderness Family Podcast and check out our most recent episodes. We have one about staying organized with creators of the Home Edit. And one about being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. We hope you'll join us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.